Alright everybody, welcome to Wednesday night service. Lawrence, are you excited? Yes, alright, praise the Lord. We are going to have an awesome time tonight in the house of the Lord. And so I hope you're ready to receive the word tonight. Let's go ahead and stand up together. We are going to speak some words of faith over the United States of America because we do believe America is coming to Jesus and we're going to see revival. Is anybody with me tonight? Yes. All right. Let's go ahead and speak these words together. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name and in unity. We confess that Jesus Christ is Lord over the United States of America. We declare that righteousness, mercy, justice, and judgment from you shall prevail. 
we declare that America will complete her God-given mission to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. We push back the darkness of Satan from this nation and call for the light of Jesus Christ to invade the media and every home, church, and school, and every town, city, and state of this great nation, the United States of America. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give the Lord some praise tonight. Hallelujah. You may be seated. All right. Well, we've got some announcements to go over here real quick. I thought that after February we'd be slowing down a little, but it turns out, no, we are just going more hardcore than ever. So let's get through these announcements real quick. So pay attention because we got a lot of stuff happening. Uh, first of all, this Friday is young adults, all right, for ages 18 to 30. That's going to be at 630 at Pastor Katie and I's house. And so come on out if you're in that age group, frying up some fish, going to hang out and teach the word and fellowship. So that's this Friday. And then Saturday is the men's meeting. Any men in the house? That wasn't very believable, guys, but that's okay. We, it's, you know, praise God, second chances. So, uh, Saturday, and, uh, we're gonna be having the word, uh, delivered by Nick Alva. It's his first time, yeah, teaching us. And we have another, uh, noob doing the breakfast, and it's gonna be James Browning is cooking breakfast for us. So I'm like, yeah. What an exciting day. So, uh, now Sunday, is going to be when the intentional parenting class starts, all right? That's this Sunday. We got, I think we said 31 families signed up. That's really, really good. (laughs) So uh, that's going to start Sunday. And it's going to run for five weeks from 4 to 5 p.m. Uh, starting this Sunday through the beginning of April. Now, the cost is $25 uh, for the book. And it's very important that you get your book before the class starts. So if you need to swing into the bookstore tonight and get it or get it Sunday morning, but um, we're trying to figure out how many books we actually need. And that we do have some in the bookstore, but I repeat, if you signed up and haven't gotten your book yet, please get your book so we know how many more we need if we need to get more. And there is childcare provided. So take advantage of that. All right, ladies, are you here? Oh, all right. So... Women's meeting is Friday the 11th at 6.30, and there's going to be Mexican food for dinner, all right? Yes, so bring a dish to share on that, and you'll have a great time. And then here's a new event. We're going to have a family art night on the 14th. Yes, family art night. Now, you guys probably didn't know this, but I'm extremely not artistic. So, uh, yeah. So I'll probably be there, but I don't know how much help I'll be. But uh, So you can bring a canvas. uh, You can grab one of those from Dollar Tree or paper, whatever you want to do your artwork on. And um, the church should have paint and crowns and colored pencils and everything like that. You can bring more if you want. Um, Anyway, so that's uh, the 14th. All right. And then baby dedications are also this month. So that's Sunday the 27th at the 10 a.m. service. If you want your baby or child dedicated, uh, let's get you signed up. There should be a sign-up sheet back there at the info booth. All right, softball. We got softball coming up. And uh, so all I'm going to say is if you want to play softball, the church softball team, 
see Robert Valdez. That's all you got to do, all right? And he'll, he'll walk you through that process. But I know people are excited about that. And we want to remind you that Easter is coming up April the 17th. So be ready for that. It's going to be a big outreach, big egg hunt, uh, just a wonderful day for families to learn about Jesus. So we're all over that. It's going to be awesome, all right? Very good. Well, I'm trying to get through these announcements quick. I think that's all I'm going to say for tonight. So let's have Pastor come on up and do our Wednesday night. Tithes and offerings. All right. Wow, he did that really good, didn't he? A lot of them did it quickly. All right. Uh, how many just love to go broke? How many want to be able to put a little bit of gas in your car? All right. You're the right crowd then. We want, we want to talk to you, show you how to fill it up every time, how to stay full and have more than enough to be a person that blesses other people. Hold up your hands to the envelope for your tithes or your offerings and uh, open up to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to look at verse 35 and 36. And uh, I, I, I kept coming to church tonight. I was praying. I said, Lord, what is the verse you want tonight for somebody who really needs to hear something from you about their money? What is the verse, Lord? And he gave me this verse for you. And if you're watching out there, it might be for you. But if who knows? But the thing is, he gave me these verses for Christians that are Christians that want to see God move in their life right now. Amen. I'll tell you what, i got some work been done in my house. I talked to the company about delivering some goods today, and it really shocked me how much they charge to deliver now. <laughs> but I figure they got they got to pay for gas. And they got to pay wages for people that run the trucks. And so we're the ones that have to give. I'm so grateful that our government only wants to tax the top 50% of the people. But I wish they'd get a clue that when they tax the big guys that make money, all they do is make the prices higher so that we pay the taxes anyway. That, that, that was just a side shot there that came in. But when we realize how things work, the Word of God does not change. And and so if you're, if you're a person that tithes, you're a person that gives, you're a person that serves God, and you're seeing things tight and wondering what to do about what's going on. Verse 35 says, Cast not away therefore your confidence, which hath great recompense of losing. Of reward. Of reward. What does reward mean? If you see a, if you see a picture on the telephone pole of a lost doggy, and it says, this is a special dog, $500 reward. Well, I'll tell you what, that means you're going to get blessed. If you find that dog, well, you find the word of God and you act on the word of God and he says there's reward if you don't cast away your confidence. And then here's the verse. Here's the verse for the person or persons that are right now wondering what's going on. And you hear the thoughts. It's not working. I just don't know about this. I don't know what I'm going to do. How are we going to make ends meet? What is going on? It says you have need of patience that if you've done the will of God, well, the will of God for Christians is to always give him 10% of what you make. That's the will of God. And so you can have confidence when you've done the will of God that God's going to bless you. Reward's coming. And uh, says says that if you've done the will of God, you might receive the promise. And I was thinking... 
about this verse, but what I share tonight, I was thinking this, what I've learned, and uh, I've been around this for a long, 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 long time. And I was thinking about Psalms 37, verse 25, that we share sometimes. Well, David said, I've been young, now I'm old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. And so, when you don't cast away your confidence, that means this. Here's what I've learned. I was thinking about this. Over all of our years of serving God, being tied to serving Jesus, we found out that if we've got nothing, we say, praise the Lord, you're good, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, you're good. If we got an abundance, we say, praise the Lord, you're good, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. And so we found out over the years, sometimes we've had nothing. Sometimes we've had a little more than nothing. And sometimes we've had a lot. But through the whole thing, we didn't cast away our confidence. Because we knew, we knew we was faithful to him, and he's faithful. So if it looked, it looked like nothing was happening, the financial read except bad stuff, we just say, Jesus, we want to thank you. We bring our tithe into the storehouse. You said the witness have open, poured out your blessing on us. You said you're rebuking the fire. So then we just make ourselves laugh sometimes because the joy of the Lord is our strength. We'd laugh. It would say, devil, ha, 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 ha. You're rebuked. You're rebuked because God said so. And you know what I'm doing when I'm doing that? That's my confidence for and you know what happens when you cast your confidence away? Uh, I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know what we're going to do. Oh, I don't know what we're going to do. Some of those people are so lucky. I'm the only one in the church that this is not working for. Everybody else in the church is really blessed. I'm the only one that's not. You know what you just did? You cast away your confidence. You gave up on it. Can I tell you something about true faith people? When we come into church... There was a time that the pastor hold this microphone now come to this church. He went for a season. This church didn't have money to give him a paycheck. And so we come into church. You know what we did? We laughed. We sang. We preached tithing and giving. We preached love and faith, how good God was. And boy, after a few weeks, finally paychecks started coming again. And so uh, when you look at all the people around you that you got to obey, you don't know how many people in the church that walk that door for you shouting the victory praise of Jesus are in worse shape than you are. But they're shouting, they're shouting the victory because they've learned how this works. Amen. Faith doesn't work by what it sees. Faith works by what it knows. And so the word of God to you that are having a hard time right now is this. Cast out away there for your confidence. It has great recompense reward. You have need of patience. That means don't quit. Keep doing right. Amen. Amen. Good preaching. Well, let's do our financial faith confession. And uh, once again, when we come up to the altar, the ones that are bringing things up to the altar to give or to tithe, the rest of you, you give online probably things like that, or maybe you're like us. A lot of times we give the first the first month, Sunday of the month because we get paid to put a lot of it in. And so then we might not put some in for a couple weeks, but the thing is we've already done it. And so whether you're bringing something in your hand or not, why don't you come up here and worship too and just hang out up there while with the Holy Ghost. Amen. As we bring the Lord's tithe and give offerings today, we believe we receive jobs or better jobs, promotions, raises and bonuses, benefits, sales and commissions, growth in business, settlements, estates and inheritance, interest and income, rebates and returns, checks and mail, gifts and surprises, finding money, bills paid off, debts paid off, royalties received, blessings and increase. Thank you, Lord, for meeting all my financial needs. 
because I have more than enough to take care of my family. Yet this is the kingdom of God and both the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Feel free to join us at the altar tonight as we worship the Lord. Let's sing together. I wandered through the darkness, wasting away. My soul was cold and hopeless, and dead in the grave. Like a river of life in a dry land, like a flicker of sight to a blind man. I saw the glorious light as it broke in. God of mercy and might, oh, you brought me back to life. You're the Lord of light, shining in the dark. You're the source of life, beating in my heart. You're the living hope. You're the risen Christ. You restore my soul. Oh, you brought me back to life. The brilliance of your glory awakens my soul. You give me grace and mercy. Give you control Like a river of life In a dry land Like a flicker of sight To a blind man I saw the glorious light As it broke in A God of mercy and might Oh, you brought me back to life You're the Lord of life Shining in the dark You're the source of life Beating in my heart, you're the living hope, you're the risen Christ, you restore my soul, oh, you brought me back to life. You are the resurrector, you conquered the grave. Pull me from the water, free from my chains, and risen to live like a river of life in a dry land, like a flicker of sight to a blind man. I saw the glorious light as it broke in, God of mercy and might. Oh, you brought me back to life. You're the Lord of life. Shining in the dark, you're the source of life, beating in my heart. You're the living hope, you're the risen Christ. You restore my soul, oh, you brought me back to life. You're the Lord of life, shining in the dark. You're the source of life, beating in my heart. You're the living hope, you're the risen Christ. Restore my soul. Oh, you brought me back to life.
welcome in this place, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Fill our hearts. Fill us up, Lord. There's nothing worth more that will ever come close. No thing can compare. You're
become more aware of his presence. Raise your hand, holy hand. Thank you, Lord. Raise your hands to the Lord. This is how you worship. Raise your hands. raise our hands tonight. Father, we love you and we thank you for your presence in this place. And Lord, we ask that you would speak to us tonight, Lord, and fill us with your anointing, God. We thank you, Jesus, that tonight is a night we're going to receive everything you have for us. We love you. We thank you. We praise you, Jesus, for all that you are. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. 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 Let's give the Lord some praise tonight. Amen. All right. You may be seated. Hallelujah. Well, we are going to have a good time in the word this evening. Um, so I'm excited about this. This is something I've wanted to do for a little while. Um, what we're going to be doing tonight, it's going to be a little bit different. All right. Um, normally, you guys know that I, I like to preach and fire you up and, and all this fun stuff. Tonight, we're going to actually be starting. Um, I've, I've never done this out of 15 years of full-time ministry, so I'm excited. Uh, what we're going to do starting tonight for the next few weeks is we're going to do an expository study, all right, on one specific book of the Bible. We're going to be studying 1 Corinthians together. Who's excited about this? <laughs> Amen. Yeah. So uh, you may now that... 
you know, you may think, well, that doesn't sound too exciting. This is super exciting, man. We're going to dig a little bit deeper into the Word of God. And, uh, and, and you know, I guess I'll, I don't have a whole lot of time, so i got to move quickly with it. But, you know, there's different styles of sermons and preaching. Uh, you got, there's really three main styles. And, and so I'm, I'm just I'm, I'm going more of the educational route right now. But uh, you've got you know, your topical sermon, which is a lot of what I preach. You've got a textual sermon where all of your points come directly from uh, Bible verses. Or, and um, and I do, I've do i been doing that a lot. Then there's a third type of sermon called an expository, which is not something that I do a whole lot. And um, and so I'm just I'm thrilled that we're going to uh, take the next few weeks to do this. We're going to study each chapter of the book of 1 Corinthians because there's a lot of really good information in there. And I've just been looking at this myself and thinking, man, this is stuff that uh, Christians in America need to hear in in 2022, first of all. But uh, it's a very specific book. Now, all of the Bible is, is, is important and perfect and exactly what you need, right? You know, that Old Testament, New Testament. Now, we live under the New Covenant and the New Testament. And very specifically, if you want to get to the most specific thing of all that's written directly to you, okay? Now, all of, again, all of Scripture is profitable and is perfect and good for you, but if you want to get to the nitty-gritty, the absolute most targeted things written to you as a New Testament Christian are the epistles. These letters, uh, you know, uh, in the New Testament is the absolute most direct, specific thing that is totally written specifically to you. And, uh, and so that's one major reason why I want to go into one of the epistles here and just break it down and study it together. And, uh, and man, the Word of God is so powerful. It's alive. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And we're going to take a deeper dive into a very important book of the Bible. All right? So or does that sound good to everybody that we could take a few weeks and really dig deeper than just the surface level, all right? So very excited about this. But let's go ahead and flip over to 1 Corinthians. Could you do that with me tonight? 1 Corinthians. Thank you, Leah. Anyone else going with me? All right. Let's take this journey back to ancient Greece. And we're going to uh, 1 Corinthians here. Now, just to catch you up a little bit on on the uh, scenario or the, the situation that we're looking at here, uh, where Paul established a church in the city of Corinth, and you can read about that in Acts chapter 18, you know, on your own time, we're not going there tonight, but, but Paul went from city to city, right, starting churches, and, and he would raise up leadership, and then they would, they would you know, have a, 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 a healthy church in that area. Now, Paul spent a lot of time in the city of Corinth. The most time he ever spent in any city was Ephesus. And we, you know, and, and, um, and that's actually where he was at when he was writing the book of 1 Corinthians. But First Corinth was the second most time he ever spent in any one place. He spent a year and a half there. And Corinth was a booming city. The economy was incredible. It was a seaport city. It was thriving in commerce. There were ships and there was all sorts of business. It was a booming city of its day. And, you know, they, they had everything. They had the highly intellectual white-collar crowd. They had the blue-collar workers. They had 
everybody in between. It was diverse. It was a booming city, and it was also a very sin-filled city. <laughs> there was, uh, I mean, lots of prostitution. There was lots of uh, just bad things, uh, very much a love of money. In fact, a lot of people would really uh, uh, compare it to our modern-day West Coast. Uh, in fact, I heard some people call it, uh, instead of First and Second Corinthians, First and Second Californians. And I was like, oh, come on now, stop, stop. That hurts. But, <laughs> but really, it is very comparable to a lot of our, you know, Las Vegas and modern uh, West Coast cities. And so the Christians there, uh, Paul had raised up, got a great, great work started, and uh, and 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 he left and went on to you know work and start other churches, but the people, the Christians there, they really unfortunately started uh, falling into line with the culture around them. As Christians, we are to change the culture, right? We're not to just we're in the world, but we're not of the world. The issue was that the church was starting to become just like the world around them. And and so Paul, uh, he gets this uh, letter from somebody in the church in Corinth, and I'll, we'll see who it was here in a little bit. It specifically says who told on them. But uh, he gets news like, man, it's not going good in Corinth. <laughs> they are, they're, they're, they're fighting with each other. There is mass sexual immorality. In fact, it's so bad that you'll see uh, one of the things that really sent Paul over the edge, there was a man in the church that was in a romantic relationship with his own stepmother. And Paul was like, this is out of control. They would fight over food at communion time. They, they were immature. They were wild. And, and, and Paul, he wrote 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians to try to restore some order to the church. And so that's what we're looking at here. It's not that they were stupid. They were smart. They were educated. And, and they were, you know, a, a, a good, uh, you know, healthy group of people. But they had some issues. And, and that's the thing that I found is that there's no perfect church anywhere. And, you know, you'd think that as a pastor, I'd like it if someone said, man, this is the perfect church. And I'm like, don't say that. This is not the perfect church because I'm preaching here and I'm extremely not perfect. It can't be perfect. And, and, and if you ever find the perfect church, don't go. You're going to ruin it as soon as you get there. <laughs> because you are not perfect, right? And neither am I. <laughs> I mean, man, I've got some issues that the Lord's working on. Praise the Lord for that. But, uh, but, but this was a church with issues, but they had so much passion. They really did love the Lord. And they had a lot of potential. And so I'm kind of laying the groundwork for what we're going to look at here. So... We're going to dig deep. We're going to look at a lot more scriptures than we normally look at. I've already given Heather a heads up. Just, you know, keep up with me on the screen there. But tonight what we're going to do is hopefully in about 20 minutes time, 25 minutes time, we are going to look at the first three chapters of 1 Corinthians. And I'm going to I'm gonna uh, cut it to different uh, um, portions of it. But there's a lot that you can learn right here. And... The word of God will change your life. If you think like, well, you know, this, this doesn't seem like it applies to me. It applies to you, man. The word of God, I repeat, is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It divides between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow, and it exposes the innermost parts of our heart. 
All right, that's Hebrews 4, but check it out. You're going to learn some things tonight as we dig into the Word of God. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you, Lord, for your holy written Word. And I pray that as we dive into a a, a little bit of a deeper study than we do sometimes, God, that you are going to show us things. We're going to learn your word for ourselves, God. And we thank you that it is alive and it's going to change our lives in a great way. We love you and we thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, can someone say amen? Amen. All right, so we're going to look here starting in chapter one. And what I'm going to do is pull out three different uh, areas that Paul had to help them out with um, in this uh, first letter to the Corinthians, all right? So the first thing is this, number one that I'm going to look at is they were battling the intellectuals of the day, battling the intellectuals of the day. And so what I'm going to do here is uh, start here in chapter one at verse 18. And actually I exhorted on this Sunday morning just a little bit, and I've been thinking about this so much that I'm like, we have got to talk about this. I, 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 I've been holding off, but I, I've got to talk about this. So 1 Corinthians 1, starting at verse 18, and we'll probably go all the way to verse 28. And so Paul says, the message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. Anyone in here headed for destruction? No, come on. You're Christians. You ain't headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. As the scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. Do you think God's impressed with the most intelligent people in the world? Is he like, oh man, they're smart. They don't impress him one bit. He made them. Verse 20. So where does this leave the philosophers, the scholars, and the world's brilliant debaters? God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish. And I can't tell you how many times I've seen, and I've seen this in my lifetime, where the Bible's maybe said something like geographically, like, you know, this is where this ancient city was. And, and there's been modern scholars, no, that's, that's not there. That, that's not where Jericho was, for instance. They didn't think they knew where the walls of Jericho were. And sure enough, maybe through excavation or archaeology, someone discovers like, oh, wait a minute, wait, no. yes, that is where the ancient, wow, the Bible was right all along. And I love it when God's word proves the high and lofty intellectuals wrong and makes them look foolish. And it happens more than you think. They thought that Sodom and Gomorrah was a made-up city. And turns out they found ancient uh, trade route maps that had Sodom and Gomorrah exactly right where the Bible says that it was. The Bible's true. (laughs) All right, but I got to keep going. So verse 21, since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom, he's used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. And so I'll say it right now, you can't come to God through your own intellect and your own wisdom and understanding. You come to him through faith and believing. And Paul, Paul, as educated as he was, he's like, man, people don't come to God. God. God saw to it that people couldn't come to him through their own wisdom. He's using our foolish preaching to get people to him. Verse 22, our preaching, it is foolish to the Jews who ask for signs from heaven, and it's foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews get offended, and the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. Why? The Jews, they wanted, they, they believed in miracles. They wanted some big miraculous 
parting of the Red Sea type of sign. And when they weren't seeing that, they're like, see, told you it was fake. And then the Greek people, the Gentiles, the scholars, they're like, no, 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 that's all nonsense. None of that could ever happen anyway. So Paul was like, no, no, none of these people are getting it. So verse 24, but to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. This foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans. And God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. I'll tell you what, man, none of us in here, I know you and I know me. We were not all that before Jesus got a hold of us. We were some pretty messed up people. Am I right? Come on. We know each other's stories. Some of us more than others, but at the same time. But at the same time, we were some messed up people. And so God didn't call you because you were so smart. Or, well, I better use him. He's got so much money. God doesn't need any of that. Why? Because he has got it all together. And here's what I love right here. Look at this verse. I think I'm at 27. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who were powerful. God chose things despised by the world, counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. What does all that mean? God uses a bunch of nobodies to get the gospel out. He doesn't go go out and like, man, I need to establish a church in Barstow. I better get the strongest people, the smartest people, the richest people, the, you know, the most business savvy. Yeah, God can use all of those people, but God's not looking for what ability you have. He's looking at your heart and God can change a whole region. God could establish a whole church on a whole bunch of losers and nobodies and embarrass the world around us and think, what? Though Him? That person? Did that? How did that happen? And God says, ha, I got gotcha. you. Yes. Said I wasn't going to preach. Let's go. <laughs> so there were scoffers and mockers and people in this day and age in Corinth. In Corinth that, that were like, no, nah, man, you all are a bunch of loo. You, you don't even have it all together. But listen, there's a lot of scoffers and mockers in our day just like there was then. They won't believe in anything they can't see. They won't believe in anything they can't fully comprehend with their mind. And here's the thing, as Paul said a minute ago, that God saw to it that nobody could ever get to God through their intellect and their mind. You don't get to God with your mind. You get to him with your heart. Because Ephesians 3.19 says that the love of God is so big, no human could possibly comprehend it. The minute that you actually understand God, He's not as big as we thought he was. (laughs) But he is so big that no human can fully comprehend God. I I mean, I try as much, and, and, and the more I study, I understand more and more about him. But God is so great and so big and so powerful, it's impossible for my little peanut brain to wrap it all around him. No person can get to God through that. And and. And, the, and somebody that relies only on their intellect and their education, 
that's a tough pill to swallow because they're used to being able to figure anything and everything out. You can't fully figure God out. You're not that big. And it takes a lot of, it takes a lot of humility and being humble to be able to say, you know what? He's bigger than what I can understand. He's better than what I can understand. And he, I, I need him. I need him. That takes shooting your pride down. And there's a lot of people that aren't willing to shoot their pride down and admit, I need a savior. I don't have it all figured out. And so, yeah, there's, I see it today. There's scoffers and mockers and, and haters and antagonists towards you, towards me, towards our Christian faith. And really, and, and, and my, you know, and my thing is, I think it's more of a stretch and a leap of faith to believe in some of the scientific baloney that I've heard than it is to just believe that, you know, God is good and he created the heavens and the earth. You know, the belief that the earth, you know, I just had a teenager asking me about this right before church. The belief that the earth originated from some magical big bang zillions of years ago and human beings just magically developed and, and an entire planet developed from that. And this planet... It's just a, just a coincidence, but it is just the exact right distance from the sun. If we were any farther from the sun, we'd all freeze to death. If we were any closer, we'd all burn to death and fry. But it's just a coincidence that it, I mean, there's just no way that, you know, it just happened to be that way. It just happens to spin at the right exact amount of speed. There just happens to be the right level of oxygen. It's just a coincidence, you know. I mean, there's no way that it happened by a divine plan from a creator. I mean, some of the things that I've heard and seen, and, and, and it's just like, that, that sounds more unbelievable to me than to just say, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I heard a doctor say this. He said, the chances of life originating from accident is comparable to the chances of a dictionary resulting from an explosion in a printing shop. <laughs> Imagine, you know, you blow up a printing shop and lo and behold, a dictionary came out of it. All the words were spelled just right. All the definitions just so happened to coincidentally be there. That's about the chance. In fact, I saw a, a Dr. Hugh Ross, PhD, sat down and performed a mathematical equation. He took 123 separate facts about Earth and calculated the odds that all 123 factors which have to be in place for the earth to exist, what are the chances that all 123 of these facts just so happen to exist and, and work out? Things like the distance from the sun, the oxygen level, and all this stuff. And so with these 123 facts, he found out that the chances of all of these things happening by pure luck and blind coincidence is less than one chance in 10 to the 139th power, which if you write that out is uh, less than one in 10 trillion, 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 that, <laughs> that all 123 of these scientific facts just by pure blind luck, by pure coincidence happen. That's a leap of faith to me, to be able to believe, to believe something that outlandish. But I'm telling you right now, Paul had it down. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And if you, there's, there's just no, 
and, and, the, and the, the intellectuals and, and all that, and they, they make fun of us. And check it out. I'm not against education, all right? Some would say I'm an educated man. I'm a college graduate and everything like that. I'm not against education, but I also do understand that just like in Paul's day right there in Corinth, that a good majority of modern-day education has an extreme bias towards Christianity. I didn't come to church to hear this stuff. I came to hear that God wants me healthy, wealthy, and wise. Well, come next, you know, uh, Sunday morning. I got you Sunday morning, but I'm studying this for a few weeks, okay? No, listen, there's a bias, especially non-Christian universities. What am I talking about? I'm talking about how Paul helped these guys navigate the antagonistic intellectual crowd of his day. And so I'm talking to my kids now. You know, the oldest is only in, in seventh grade, but I'm like, I want my kids, if they go to college, to go to a Christian university. Everybody do what they want to do. I'm talking about for me. I'm giving you insight into my life. I don't really want them going. I don't care if they get a full ride scholarship to UCLA or, you know, whatever. I really kind of don't want them to get that. I want them to go uh, to a Christian college or university because I have seen, and I've, I've been in the game for a few days now, you know, youth ministry for over 10 years. I mean, you know, I've, I've seen this at least a little bit that there are uh, some very antagonistic, you know, Leanne, you've told me about some of the people you've come across. Very antagonistic uh, professors and educators that it is their goal and it is their life's mission in a lot of it, especially at the university level, to talk young people out of their faith and ridicule you and mock you and make it so miserable on you that you either cave or you just bow out. And, you know, hey, it's just the truth. I've seen it many, many times. And I'm so excited that one of our seniors here just got accepted into a major Christian university. I was clapping. I'm like, yes, thank you, Jesus. If I could have it anyway, all of our church kids would go to a Christian college and university. But, you know, praise God. God's got plans for everybody's life. And for some people, God, you know, calls them that way. But I definitely want my kids going to Christian university. All right? I'm off my soapbox. You can, you know, let, let your guard down now, those that don't want to hear me anymore. Okay. Let's look at chapter 2, shall we? Chapter 2, and so I'm very obviously not going to get as far as I thought tonight. <laughs> I'm looking at the clock. There's just no way. I don't know what I was thinking that I was going to get through three chapters. It's, all, it's okay, though. So chapter 2, um, okay, so let's look at verses 1 through 5. He said, when I first came to you, dear brothers and sisters, I didn't use lofty words and impressive wisdom to tell you God's secret plan. For I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. I came to you in weakness, timid, and trembling, and my message and my preaching were very plain. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. I did this so you would trust not in human wisdom, but in the power of God. Now, Paul was an extremely educated man. I mean dynamite, wonderful, brilliant, intellectual mind. But he says that he came to the city and and he didn't come in and try to persuade them with clever and persuasive and, and, and philosophical speech. He's like, no, I wanted to win you guys over through the power of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I love that. You know, I, I mean, I, I, I love 
wonderful, deep, persuasive thing. Absolutely. But Paul said, I didn't go that way. And he could have gone toe-to-toe with any debater in that city. He, went, he had the mind and the brilliance and the capabilities of a wonderful modern-day attorney or lawyer. He could have argued and spit people out for lunch, but he didn't do that. He said, no, my preaching was what? It was very plain. It was very simple. I broke it down, and I wanted to rely more on the power of God and the Holy Spirit than on anything else. Why? Because he didn't want them to to persuade everybody intellectually. He wanted them to trust in the power of God. I love that, all right? So I'm going to read verses 13 through 16. Verses 13 through 16. Amen. Are you still with me? Man, I'm, I, I, I determined I'm going to have a good time with this, even if no one else does. But I'm having a good time. He said, he said, when we tell you these things, we do not use words that come from human wisdom. Instead, we speak words given to us by the Spirit, using the Spirit's words to explain spiritual truths. Check this out. But people who are not spiritual can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolish to them, and they can't understand it. For only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. Those who are spiritual can evaluate all things, but they themselves cannot be evaluated by others. For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to teach Him? But we understand these things, for we have the mind of Christ. Anyone in here tonight, you've got the mind of Christ? Quit calling yourself stupid. Jesus isn't stupid. Don't you call my Savior stupid. He is not stupid. You are created in God's image. You are not ugly. And you are not stupid. You have the mind of Christ. You can understand that new thing they're trying to teach you at work. You can understand this new whatever it is you need to understand. If Jesus can do it, praise God, you have the mind of Christ. Now, have you ever noticed, though, that there's things that make perfect sense to you and I, but the people of the world, they can't even begin to understand them? There's things we talk about, you know, the love of God, the power of God. We see, you know, the works of God. The, uh, we see the gifts of the Spirit and all these things in our church. And to someone that's not saved, they see that and like, what are you guys talking? I just don't understand you guys. And to us, we're like, what? It's like every week. It makes perfect. How do you not understand this? Well, Paul said, check it out. People that aren't spiritual, they can't understand spiritual things. There's things that you and I just... It just makes perfect sense. We get it. It's just, it's part of our life. This whole Bible, this whole Christian thing is our whole lives. And so we maybe have our own language sometimes. We talk and say things and we get each other. And then an outsider's like, you're all weird. What do you, I don't even understand anything you're saying at all. It's because they aren't spiritual. They're they're not going to get it. They can't get it. But you and I, we have the mind of Christ. Thank you, Jesus. All right, I'm moving fast. I'm gonna, I thought I was going to be able to cover three things, but I can't. So I'm just going to cover one more thing. What's another one of the first issues that Paul tackled with the Corinthians? Was division among the Christians. Division amongst the Christians. Now, the Christians at the church in Corinth, they, hey, they knew how to fight. <laughs> they knew how to argue and I'm like, man, I know a lot of Christians in our day and age that, hey, they like to fight. They like to argue. And, and, and I've noticed that the most honestly, and I've heard so many preachers say this, and as I look at life, this is the, 
factual statement, the most persecution and heat and, and I guess, uh, meanness that, that I've received in this life really hasn't been from the haters and antagonists and atheists. It's really been from other Christians. Y'all believe that, you know, you believe that God kills people still? Man, y'all are crazy. That's, we got science now. Or, or, man, you all speak in tongues? Oh, that, that passed. Oh, my God. You're of the devil. We're, yeah, anyway, I'll stop. But, but what I'm saying is a lot, and, and, and here's the thing. This is what was happening there. The Christians here, they had broken themselves basically into different teams. And, uh, and so, and Paul specifically, I'm getting ready to show you this, um, but some people, their favorite preacher was Paul. Some people, their favorite preacher was another guy named Apollos. Some people, their favorite preacher was Peter. And so the people, they'd be like, oh, you're of Paul? We're of Peter over here. So I don't know what y'all are talking about, but Peter's the best. So we don't even want to hang out with you guys anymore. Or, no, we listen to Apollos. He's our favorite. And they had broken themselves down into different groups. Well, let's look at it. Chapter 1, go back to chapter 1, verses 10 through 13. But these people, they had divided themselves in the church like, no, hey, if you're on team Paul, you over here, okay? If you're, who's all on team Apollos? Let's, and they, they fought with each other over this. It was so immature and caused such fights that Paul had to address this. And so chapter 1, verse 10, chapter 1, verse 10, Paul says, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. For some members of Chloe's household have told me about your quarrels. There was a snitch at Chloe's house. I told, I told Cletus and Renee, they have a daughter named Chloe, and they're the only two other people that live in that house. So I know who the snitch is. <laughs> I'm kidding. But anyway, it's just, it's ironic. You know, the, the other members of Chloe, they didn't say Chloe did it, but the members of her, of her house wrote Paul this letter. And, and, and they told Paul about the quarrels. My dear brothers and sisters, some of you are saying, I am a follower of Paul. Others are saying, well, I follow Apollos, or I follow Peter, or I follow only Christ. Now, that sounds good, but when you understand the tone and what they were saying, people are still like this today. First of all, who's on Team Jesus? We're all on Team Jesus, right? That's what I, but some people have this same attitude like, man, I don't need any pastor. I don't need, I don't need any church. I don't need any spiritual leader. I just, I'll just talk straight to you. And yes, you can talk straight to Jesus, but... In this Christian life, you do need to submit to some spiritual leader in your life. You you need a pastor. And, you know, and if we aren't in it, praise God, please go somewhere else. If, I, if we hate your pastor, find out who is. I'm not, hey, I'm, I'm not everybody's pastor. I get that, and I'm fine with that. But these people right here, they're like, okay, you like Peter. You like Paul. I don't like any of them. I don't, I don't need any leader. I only follow Jesus. And of course, we all follow Jesus. Absolutely. But to understand the tone of what they were saying, why would Paul have to correct them in this? So check it out. Check it out. These guys are all just broken up. So Paul says in verse 13, Has Christ been divided into factions? Was I 
Paul crucified for you? Were any of you baptized in the name of Paul? Of course not. And so he dealt with it. He's like, man, don't say that, you know, that you're of Paul. You better be of Jesus, first of all, before anything. And he goes on to correct them, but, uh, you know, one of my Bible college teachers, well, I think I may have time here. I'm going to go ahead and try to, can we try to handle one more area? Let's do one more, okay? I think I can squeeze this in real quick. So the third level that Paul addressed in this first letter here is immaturity. Immaturity. And this will be a common theme. You will see us talk about this much more in the coming weeks because that's what Paul dealt with here. But really, really quick, chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. I hope you're learning, trying to, we're like blasting you with a bunch of stuff here. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Paul says, Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you like I would to spiritual people. Ow, doesn't that hurt? I had to talk as though you belonged to the world or as though you were infants in Christ. I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger. Newsflash, you still aren't ready. Ow! (laughs) I mean, that's some harsh language. He's like, I couldn't even talk to you guys like you were spiritual. I'd talk to you like you were people of the world. Why? Well, verse 3, for you are still controlled by your sinful nature. You're jealous of one another. You quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove that you're controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like people of the world? Oh, that is, I mean, that hurts. That hurts right there. And I was going to tell you that my first year of Bible college, one of our professors, he was really everyone's favorite, but he took the whole first semester and only taught on these three verses right there. To explain how immature, and I'm like, man, I've heard these like the deepest guy in the world. He only taught on three verses for months. And every day I'm like, oh my gosh, I feel like, oh, I've got a lot of growing up to do. It was incredible. But isn't it sad that Paul spent the second most amount of time with these people than he did with anybody else. And he couldn't do anything deeper than just the basics of Christianity. What if every week you came in and I'm like, okay, guys, here's today's lesson. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me. So, stop, that's all you guys can handle. Come back next week. And we do it all over again. The same thing. over, And we never make it past the base. I mean, that's a great message. That'll preach all day long, brother. But after a while, we should be able to get beyond to Jesus loves me this. I know maybe there's a deeper level. And, and Paul's like, I couldn't even, I had to talk to you guys like you were babies because you fight. You're jealous of one another. You're, and in fact, what the King James says that, what does it say? They were carnal. What does carnal mean? It means somebody that is controlled by their flesh. Carnal. It's this uh, Greek word, carne. And we are, you know, I I talked about it, but our Spanish word, same thing. Meat of the flesh. Meat. In fact, in Romans chapter 8, Paul said, you guys are carnally minded. What does that mean? Well, Andrew Womack put it this way. He said, carnal meat minded head. He's like, he just called them a bunch of meatheads. Carnally minded, man. You're a meathead. You you can't get anything deep because all you rely on is what mood you're in. All you rely on is, is, is how you feel that day or, or, or what impulses you have. Like, man, I know I shouldn't do that, but I just feel like it, so I'm going to do it. 
I'm not calling you the worst sinner in the world, but I am going to call you carnal. That's carnal. Your flesh dominates you. You are of the flesh. I'm going to hide behind the pulpit because I feel daggers coming right out. Someone's about to come get me. Listen. He said, I can't get any deeper with you guys than this. You're carnally minded. You're jealous of each other. Someone else, you know, gets something. And instead of celebrating their victory, you're jealous. Why didn't my prayer get answered? Come on. Immaturity. And they're fighting with each other. We'll see later on. There was Christians in the same church filing lawsuits against each other over stupid things. And Paul's like, oh my goodness, I can't take it anymore. You guys are driving me up the wall. Grow up. And when I see Christians that can't get along with other Christians, a millennial phrase, you know, that comes to my mind. Tell me you're immature without saying I'm immature. I don't even need you. You've identified yourself. I don't need you to wear a t-shirt that says I'm immature. If you fight with other Christians that can't get along with anybody, I already know. You're immature. You're carnal. And I and we I would love to dish out the deeper things to you, but you wouldn't get it anyway. Um one more verse. One more. One more. Verses 16 and 17. Verses 16 and 17. But yeah, wow. The, Paul was just getting real with these guys. Because, you know, you can only sugarcoat it for so long, right? He, he had to get to a place where he had to yank their chain a little bit. And, you know, sugarcoating, uh, Pastor Hagen uh, said this. He's like, the problem is we're feeding sugar taffy to congregations that are already diabetic. We're just making it worse. You got to get the truth. <laughs> And so verses 16 through 17, he says, don't you realize that all of you together are the temple or the church of God and that the spirit of God lives in you? God will destroy anyone who destroys this temple or this church. For God's temple, his church is holy and you are that temple. So why why are you all fighting with each other? So Paul's saying that all of you Christians together make up the church of Corinth. And it's apparently a very dangerous thing to make trouble and destroy a church. I've seen people do it. Thank God. we. And I'm just going to give you all a shout out right now. And I mean this. You are the best congregation of people I've ever seen in my life. I, I mean that. We're blessed around here. We're blessed, you know, pray for the, pray for the preachers, but at the same time, you guys, you know, you guys were very, very blessed, but I've seen churches destroyed. People come in with fighting and bickering and absolutely destroy it. And it's easy to think, oh yeah, well, I mean, that's sad. It's so sad that that happened. God doesn't think it's sad. It takes him off. Paul said, God will destroy anyone who destroys this temple or this church. And you're like, well, he's talking about the building. No, no, no. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. You're going to destroy a business. Go destroy a subway or something. We've got billions of those. But don't destroy. I shouldn't say that on live internet. (laughs) Okay. But if there's one thing that Barstow needs more of, we need more subways around here. Am I right? Come on. More subways and vape shops. If we could just get a few more of those, I'd be happy. No, but what I'm saying is this. 
I don't want to destroy anybody's business. I don't want to destroy anybody's life. But right here it says, man, if you're going to trouble and destroy a church, God destroys that person. Well, that's harsh language, Pastor Dave. You can't work. I didn't say it. I was just reading the scripture. Don't get mad at me. It says God will destroy anyone who destroys this temple, for the temple is holy, and you are that temple talking about the church. So as we read all this stuff, you know, what are we doing? We're just going chapter by chapter through the book of 1 Corinthians. I'm not adding. I'm not taking away. I'm just doing an expository study and teaching on this book. But three of the main issues in the first three chapters that Paul dealt with are right here. There's this immaturity and, and this fighting. Paul said that would destroy your church. And Corinth, it had plenty of, you know, places to gamble. It had plenty of prostitution houses. It had plenty of places to get drunk. It had plenty of places to go live it up. But it only had one church. And they were fixing to destroy it from the inside out. And so I encourage you that man... God loves churches. God, how, how come was it? And Satan hates the churches. Why was it last year we could see all these businesses could open up, but not churches? Oh, you know, we can open up, you know, this. We can open up that. This is essential. That's essential. But not, no, 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 no. It would be dangerous if churches got together. Okay, fine. You can get together, but just don't sing or chant. I'm like, we don't chant. What type of church do you go to? Okay, let's write five new faith confessions so we can say we chant now, right? (laughs) So, you know, anyway, they're saying all these different, but why is it the devil hates churches, but God loves churches because he sees what happens when people gather and study his written word together and they get their lives changed and set free. So I encourage you tonight, out of the book of 1 Corinthians, we're going to look at a lot more stuff. And this is, you know, this is a little bit different than the type of message that we usually do. But I'm super excited because I want you guys to learn more about the Bible. I want you to get a better knowledge and understanding and be more educated on it. And I want to I uh, study this together, and we're going to have a really, really good time with it. Can I get an amen? All right, let's stand up together tonight. Praise God. Praise God. Just doing a good old Bible study here. All right, well, we're a little bit over on time, so I'm going to have a prayer team coming up uh, for just a few minutes here tonight. Uh, we won't we won't take very long because I know we got to go pick up the kids and the youth group and all that stuff. But if you need prayer, Josh is going to lead us in worship. Come right up and get prayer. If not, we'll go ahead and close out. Let us become more aware of your presence. Let us experience glory of your goodness. Let us become more aware of your presence. Let us experience the glory of your goodness. Let us become more aware of your
right, guys. Well, let's go ahead and close out tonight. Is anybody blessed by studying 1 Corinthians with us? Amen. Well, we're going to do this for a few weeks here. And I just pray that you come ready to, to receive and dig into God's word and learn the scripture. It's going to be awesome. All right. Well, let's go ahead and uh, close out. Young adults, come to my house Friday night. If you don't know where it is, come ask me. I'll tell you how to get there. All right. Young adults. Sorry. Young adults. Yeah. <laughs> it's a joke. It's a joke. All right. Anyway, praise God. Let's uh, let's close out in prayer before I get myself into any more trouble. I just, yeah, I, I need people to love me. I don't know. Amen. All right. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you, Lord, for what we've seen in your word tonight. And, Lord, I do say that we are victorious in every single area, Lord. Your word is a lamp to our feet. It's a light to our path. And I thank you, Jesus, that we are making your word our foundation And Lord, use us this week in the name of Jesus to show the light of the world to everybody around us. And I thank you, Lord. Any attacks that come against us, they're going to fail because you surround us on every side. We love you. We praise you. In the name of Jesus, can somebody say amen? All right. Let's do this. We declare that Barstow is a blessed city. Our families are blessed. Our schools are blessed. Our churches are blessed. Barstow is healed. Barstow is prospering. Barstow is safe. Barstow is strong. Barstow is surrounded by the walls of God's salvation. Barstow is full of love, joy, and peace. Barstow is full of the glory of God. Barstow is coming to Jesus. Barstow is safe. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go.